And thank you for sending him again. Thank you that he is with us. His spirit is here in this room. Father, I pray that your spirit would be what we listen to, what we hear. That no other spirits would have voice here, but only your spirit. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for this season where we remember what you've done and where we enjoy what you're doing and look forward to what you will yet do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at some of the songs of Scripture in this Advent season. Beautiful songs of Scripture. Last week we looked at Psalm 30, or Psalm uh, 23, sorry. Um, I actually transposed that in my head. Um, and we we looked at it and realized um, that this was a master plan, that God was going to, that he chose to come and become one of us, that he moved from being this great, uh, distant, far-off God to the God who was close by. Tonight we're going to look at Mary's song. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and it's a song that she writes in response to what God has done when she's pregnant with Jesus. It's found in Luke 1, verses 46 to 55, and I'll read it. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The second Sunday of Advent is celebrating today the the reality of Jesus coming and coming again to bring us to himself. We often think of Advent as announcing Christmas, but again, a reminder, it's announcing his second coming, his coming again. So we look at Mary's song. There's so much going on in these beautiful words in this story. In the story, an angel appears to Mary and tells her that she will bear a child. And I want you to listen to the account of that a few verses earlier. Luke 1, 16 to 38 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Those first words are confusing that the angel spoke. They're confusing to Mary. What does that even mean? Favored one? (laughs) Favored one? Maybe scared one, maybe terrified one, anxious one, troubled one. Jesus, and I mean, an angel comes and tells you you're going to be, give birth to, to the Son of God. In, encounters with angels aren't part of the ordinary scheme of life. Pretty much every time in Scripture that you see an angel coming to people, their first words are, don't be afraid, fear not. They're terrifying. I know at Christmas time we like to celebrate the cute little pudgy angel things that, I don't know what that is, that's a Hallmark deal. That's certainly not an actual angel. They're big and scary. So the angel Gabriel quickly adds, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Are you kidding me? If anything is terror producing, it's coming face to face with an angel who is a messenger for God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because you've found favor with God. The God of the universe chooses Mary, who's likely just a teenage girl, to be the mother of the Savior of the world. It's not just the messenger, it's the message itself that's terrifying. A young virgin to be impregnated by the Spirit of the Most High God, an intervention into humanity unlike any other in human history, It all sounds wonderfully high and mighty when we read it. It's so big and glorious when we think about it. Can you imagine being Mary? There's so much to be frightened about. In the culture and time when Mary lived, it was not a good thing to be unmarried and pregnant. It wasn't normal. It wasn't much like our culture. It was actually a capital offense punishable by death. If you got pregnant and you weren't married, you died. 
The preferred method was being stoned to death. Mary, a pregnant teenager, would be subjected to ridicule and derision. She'd be hauled out into the street and stoned to death. A fear, a real fear, should captivate her. It should hold her. She should be terrified. Her situation is is dire and, and her life is at risk. Are you kidding me? Don't be afraid. Really? Be very, very, very afraid. We're normally, naturally, people of fear. We're often afraid. We're afraid for ourselves. We're afraid for our spouses. We're afraid for our kids. Afraid for those we love. Afraid about the future. Afraid about tomorrow. Afraid of our past. Afraid that we don't have what it takes. Afraid we won't get what we think we need. Afraid about surviving. Afraid of dying. And I noticed we all have great imaginations and we can imagine all sorts of horrible things to be afraid of. We can make up fears in our head, things to be terrified of that may never happen. Some of our fears seem well-founded. We are going to die. (laughs) Everyone in this room is going to die. We are going to suffer. You are going to struggle. Things aren't going to work out the way that you hope they would. And our fear and our anxiety lead us to doubt and drive us away from the God who would come close. The God who wants to come close. In the Genesis story, we talk about it often here at the village, Adam and Eve sin. They hide from God. It isn't God that hides from them. We often say that. We think God is far from us. That he's hidden from us. But God comes looking for them. But they're afraid. They have fear, so they hide. Fear, your fear, my fear, all of our fears put distance between God and us. They, they put a space between us. And if anyone ever had the right to be afraid, it's Mary. Single, frightened, a pregnant kid with a ridiculous story. God got me pregnant. Right. Imagine you're the neighbors who hear that line. Sure. Wow. Yeah, right. In that moment, from all outward appearances, Mary is about as far from God as you can get. Mary's song is a a really hard song for me. It's hard for me to read. It's hard for me to talk about tonight. It's hard because it's a special song to me. It's, it's a special part of Scripture to me. 
few years ago, I had flown to Denver, and on my return, the plane landed and my ear was not popping the way it normally does. The pressure, there was this weird pressure thing going on, and I couldn't hear, and and I thought, well, in a day or two, it'll 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 go away, it'll be fine again, but the week went by, and nothing was happening, it wasn't changing, I still couldn't hear, so I called the doctor who sent me to a specialist who informed me that a virus had attacked the inner ear of my left ear and that I had permanent hearing loss in that ear and it was never going to come back. And I was devastated. And then I got angry. I was afraid. I'm a pastor. That's what I do. I listen to people. I listen to people all the time. I'm always listening to people. If I can't hear, how in the world am I going to do my job? I, I hate it. I, I hate when I sit here and, and the music's loud and there's noise and, and background noise and I have to focus so hard to hear and, and sometimes I'm going like this to you or you're sitting on the, at the wrong side and I can't understand. And, and all that was imagined at that point, but it was real. That same morning when I heard that, that uh, announcement from the doctor that I would lose this hearing and it was not coming back, I was scheduled to go on a prayer retreat in Carefree down north of Phoenix. I was in no mood to go. I was mad. Really, God? You're going to take away my hearing? By the time I got to the retreat center, I was raging mad. God, you owe me. I have been faithful to you. I left a business career to make nothing as a church planter for crying out loud. Look what I've done for you, Jesus. Hello? You owe me. I'm a good person. I deserve rewards, not troubles. I'm entitled. You owe me. I was mad mad at God. We ate a meal and the retreat coordinator, the director, spiritual director, gave me, gave each of us a scripture to meditate on that night. And he assigned me Mary's song. I wasn't in the mood to listen to God and I wasn't in the mood to talk to God. So I ignored the assignment, went to bed, and had horrible dreams and was more restless than ever. And early in the morning, I woke up and I remembered the assignment, and I thought, oh well. So I opened the Bible, and I read Mary's song, and instead of calming me down, Instead of making me okay, it made me even more angry. How can God treat us like this? 
He puts Mary in a god-awful situation, a horrible place. What kind of God does that? I thought God was love. How is that loving? A poor, scared teenager placed in an impossible situation. Why does a supposedly loving God place her in such a situation and then have the audacity to call her blessed? Please. She's one of the most unblessed women of all time, was what I was thinking. And it all came pouring out then. Why, God? Why? Why do you ruin my hearing? Really? Why do you give me all these issues with my neck and my back and surgeries and pain and suffering? Why do I have to live with constant pain? Why must I always be the one who has to suffer? Why don't I get what I want? Why did you take my dad? Why did you take him away when I was 16 years old? What, about, what horrible thing did I do that made you cause my dad to die? kind of loving God takes away a 16-year-old kid's dad? At that point, I'm sobbing, and I'm raging, and I'm cursing. God, you're just mean. I'm done with you. Leave me alone. I'd ask God why. I demanded to know why he took my dad. I demanded to know why we had to suffer. I demanded to know I had a right to know. And here's how I know God never answers the why question. (laughs) Often you'll ask me, why did this happen? And I'll tell you, don't bother asking God. He's not going to tell you. God doesn't answer the why question. He says to Job, in the book of Job, and you can read it, he says to Job, the man who he allowed Satan to take everything from, literally everything, except his life, he says to Job, who are you to question me? Who are you to say why to me? You see, our arrogance, our belief is that we have some right to know and that we know what is best for us. We're sure of it. We talk about it all the time. Social media, Facebook, you name it. We tweet it out. We talk about it. We email each other. We're always thinking about, I think what's best for me is... I think it would be good if I get, I need this. We actually believe that we were so arrogant, we actually believe that more than the creator, the one who made us, the one who's over everything, who designed us and shaped us and formed us and gives us everything, we think we're smarter than him. We think that we know better what we should have than he does. 
his answer to Job, his answer to me, and his answer to you, when we ask the why question is silence, or who are you to question me? That's hard, isn't it? Doesn't that make you mad? <laughs> Doesn't that kind of make you want to respond? Say, really? It wasn't a good enough answer for me. Laying in that bed at that retreat center and carefree, suddenly everything went cold and dark. It was as if God didn't exist. For the first and only time in my life, I felt desperately alone. God was absolutely silent. I didn't know what to do. I sobbed, I cried out, I cursed, I was angry. And then I told the walls of the room, because I didn't believe in prayer at that moment, I told the walls, I'm done. I don't care anymore. And I packed my bag, and I headed to the car. No more retreat, no more prayer, no more God. I was done. The spiritual director of the camp caught up with me just before I got to my car. And he begged me to stay. And I said, no, really, this is just a bad time. I'm out of here. Tell everybody at breakfast that I left. I'll explain later. And he said, Rod, if you leave now, you're going to lose everything. And you're never, ever going to come back. And for some reason, I listened to him. I have absolutely no idea why. In this setting, there was a chapel clear across the parking lot, clear across the, the camp, actually. And he pointed to the chapel, and he said, I want you to go to the chapel. And I thought he was going to give me an assignment when I got there. And he said, I want you to take tiny little steps. I want you to slowly, slowly walk. I want you to walk all the way across, heel-toe. I don't walk heel-toe. I have some weird thing in my brain that if I put my heel in toe, like our resident police officer, if he ever gives me the drunk test and makes me walk heel-toe, I will fail. You guys will have to come bail me out, right? I can't do that. I have some weird balance problem. So... I said, I can't, I can't do that. He said, Rod, do it. And for the first time and only time in my life, I walked heel-toe. He said, every time your foot touches the ground, you are required to thank God for something. Every single time that your foot touches the ground, I want you to thank God for something. Every step, it has to be something different, something new. 
You can't repeat yourself. And there's like hundreds of steps between me and the chapel. Especially, I mean, I have big feet, but still, even size 16s, you know. And I'm just, this is the stupidest thing ever. I don't want to do this. This is the dumbest assignment I've ever been given. I'm, I was laughing at him because I was bitter. I wasn't in the least bit thankful. Still, I did it. <laughs> For some reason, unbeknownst to me to this day, except that God was there, I did it. It was incredibly hard to be thankful. I was looking around for something to be thankful for. I took the first step and I saw some grass and I said, thanks God for green grass. Couldn't think of anything else. Now i got to take another step. Um, oh, thanks God for a car. It was hard to express any kind of gratitude. See, it's easier to be angry. It's easy to rage. It's easy to be just violently angry at God. It's so much easier than to be grateful. It's easy to rage. It's easy to be mad. But I noticed something as I took steps ever so slowly, it got easier. God started sending me new things to be grateful for, to be thankful for, and got a little easier and a little easier. Thanks, God, for an amazing wife. Thanks, God, for Justin. What an amazing son he is. Thank you for Derek. What an amazing son he is. Thank you for Mom. Thank you for a church, a community. Thank you for people who love me. Thank you for your provision in my life. Thank you for food, clothes, a shelter over my head. Thank you for beautiful flowers. Thanks for that fence that keeps creatures that could hurt me out. And it got more and more fun. More and more interesting and exciting. And pretty soon I was laughing and giggling with every step. You ever try to walk heel-toe and laugh and giggle when you're six eight and kind of topsy? Um, I must have looked a sight. Wobbling around. Giggling with every step. and an overwhelming sense of joy just totally whacked me upside the head. You see, God came close. The God of the universe came close. God comes close. When we go through trouble, when we are struggling, when it is hurtful, when it is painful, when it is scary, when all those things are true, God comes close. He's nearby. He's not the distant God. He's not a faraway God. He's not the angry God up in heaven that's going to torture you and punish you and hurt you. He's the God who loves you. 
Mary's response to the angel's message was, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The difference between Mary and me was Mary is humble. I wasn't. Mary trusted God. I didn't. Mary knew that God was good. And in that moment, on that day, I didn't. Mary doesn't think she's entitled. She doesn't demand rights. She acknowledges her confusion to God, to the angel. She says, I, how is that going to happen? You know, hello, angel. I'm a, like a virgin. How am I going to get pregnant? Please. But she doesn't argue with the angel. She accepts her plight and her place. She doesn't assume anything beyond that. She simply accepts what the angel says. She says, let it be to me. Jesus comes. The distant God comes close. The creator invades creation. Mary's acceptance of her role allows her to not suffer, although she does, but to rise to a place of honor and respect. To this day, we all indeed call her blessed. Her song is beautiful. It expresses her gratitude to God. She begins with magnifying God. Magnify means to praise and celebrate God. It means to dance on your wobbly legs when you can't do heel-toe and sing out to God and celebrate. That's what she does. She magnifies God. God, you're great. You're amazing. Look what you do. She points out the attributes of God in such a way that it is all about God and not about Mary. Can you do that? Do you magnify God? Do you bring him to attention of others to yourself? She sings about his greatness, what he's done. She sings and her spirit rejoices. She is exuberant in the goodness of God. She recognizes what he is doing, what he and what he's doing in her. The song is filled with words like holiness. She recognizes the distinct person of Jesus, who God is. She knows that he is holy and set apart, that he is the distant God, that he is the God of the universe, that he is bigger than you can imagine. She calls out, his mercy, his kindness. She acknowledges his strength, that he speaks things, that he does things, and he does them with power. Often we think God is weak. God can't fix my problem. She doesn't think that way. She remarks on his strength. 
She talks about how he scatters and brings down that which is opposed. And she acknowledges that he exalts, lifts up. He fills with good things and he helps the humble. He exalts, he fills, and he helps. Waiting for God to lift you up. Waiting for God to fill you up. Waiting for God to help you wherever you are. I don't know what you're struggling with tonight. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know where your rage is. I don't know if you're in a good place with God, a really bad place with God. I don't know if you're angry with him, raging against him. But the God who is distant has come close. He's close to you. He's not far away. If you're running, he's actually right behind you. It's the coolest thing in the world. When you turn around, he's there. Whoa. Sorry. Like I'm a really big person, and small people don't realize that tall people, big people, have large turning radiuses, right? And so they're always just stepping in front of us, and then we're like flopping all over the place, or, or they don't realize it takes room to turn a, a big boat, right? God is huge, and he's right behind you. He's all around you. He's holding you. He's there, whether you know it or not. When I thought he disappeared, when it was cold and dark in that room in the middle of the night, when I had told him, leave, He didn't leave. He gave me a little taste of what it would be like if he really did. Wherever you are with God tonight, in this season, I want you to start rejoicing. I want you to start expressing gratitude, especially if you don't feel like it. Matter of fact, maybe when you're standing in line to go eat the wonderful food smells amazing that Ron's cooking for us, as you're waiting in line, every time you take a step, why don't you thank God for something? You can say it out loud, because people around you, you know, they'll be saying their own, but you can hear each other. It's okay. Just start thanking God for stuff. Thank God for TV screens. Thank God for carpeting. Thank God for crazy old pastors who preach sermon. Thank God for meatloaf. I I knew I'd get one somewhere. (laughs) But don't see how much See how much fun it is in <laughs> the end. It may be really hard. Maybe right now you're saying, there is no way in God's green earth that I'm going to thank God for anything. Right now I'm going through troubles like you can't believe, and he's the cause of it. I'm begging you. 
I'm ordering you, if I have that kind of power in your life, to thank God, step by step. Tonight, tomorrow, in the weeks ahead. Mary sings a beautiful song because she was grateful for what God had done in raising up the poor pregnant or poor little girl, teenage girl, impregnating her with Jesus, making her the mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What an honor. What a privilege. What a gift to her and to us. Let's pray. Father, you are mighty. You are holy. You are merciful and kind. You exalt us. You fill us with good things. And you help us. Thank you that even when we turn away from you and run far from you and ignore you, even when we hate you, despise you, can't stand you, you come bursting in. The God of the universe, thank you for coming close. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Spirit, for being here with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.